Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 as we're coming to near uh, the end here of our series and I'll walk kind of through the book of Ephesians. Um, you may notice more children in here than last week. Uh, I think it's a really great thing. I'd like for us to celebrate the kids are in here. Uh, the way we do it is every first uh, and third Sunday, the kids are across the hallway. Uh, and what's cool is they're learning about the same text that we're learning about in here when they're across the hallway. Uh, but every second, fourth, and fifth Sundays, uh, they're in here worshiping with us uh, for several reasons. One, uh, they're part of our family, and, and we want time to worship together. Uh, we want them to be able to see if mom and dad are here with them, to to be able to worship with mom and dad and see mom and dad worship and see others worship and know that we can do it together because we are better together. But we do like to, when they're in here, we give them a special bulletin. So kids, do you have your bulletin? If you do, raise it in the air. Let me see it. Sometimes people who aren't kids get them too. That's okay. If there's enough of them, but look, if you steal one from a kid, that's between you and the Lord. Um, they're fun. Uh, but uh, So in the very front page, there's a phrase there. It's not a hard one to figure out. All you got to do is trace it. Uh, and so, but be mindful. And in, in, in a few moments, kids, when I call for you to, I'm going to have you give us that point of the sermon. All right. So the very front, there's a phrase for you to trace. And I'm going to call out in a few minutes for you to yell that out to us. And then we'll probably all yell it out together as well after they do it. But wait till I call for it. Um, this is tomorrow's Veterans Day. I would love if you're a veteran uh, to, to stand and just let us honor you for a moment, if you would. If all our veterans would stand. Love to. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, one of the things I like to do when there's a military based holiday is I try to always build one of my illustrations off of something in our military history. Uh, when you're preaching about spiritual warfare, it makes it really easy uh, to do that. And so I'm pretty sure when I planned out the sermon schedule this year, I did that on purpose. If I didn't, then the Holy Spirit did it, and it was awesome. So um, as I was looking at this text, uh, there was a really easy illustration for me to think about uh, as we look at spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Uh, Growing up as a kid, there's, there's been really no military expedition that has grabbed my attention as much as D-Day. Uh, I don't know why, but even as a kid, I, I, like, there was very few things I would read that I wasn't made to. Uh, but one subject I would read about would be uh, the invasion at Normandy Beach in, uh, in New Orleans. If you ever go to New Orleans, plan an entire day. An entire day. It'll take your entire day. There's a D-Day museum in New Orleans. It's one of the best in the country, and it's, uh, it's incredible. If you've ever been, it, the way you tour that is uh, you actually get a dog tag at the beginning, and you get uh, a specific person's story, and when you go to each section, you can kind of scan that, and it'll tell you that person's story at that point uh, in, in the war, and uh, it's just a fascinating thing, and, and really some incredible, incredible things that happened. It, I think it's so fascinating to me because it was like, uh, technology was starting to rise that, to, to such a way that it changed warfare. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't so far that there, 
there wasn't still a whole lot of hand-to-hand combat and uh and just a, so you kind of had this mix of more long-range type artillery as well as hand-to-hand combat more than more than had been to that at that point and In June 1944, there was a whole 24-hour delay uh, because of the weather. And then 13,000 paratroopers dropped in behind enemy lines. Most of them prepared for that to be the last day they lived. They they knew they were dropping in behind enemy lines to push back uh, what they called the German war machine. Before the invasion of Normandy, uh, General Eisenhower issued a letter to the soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Forces, and he let them know uh, that they were about to embark upon the Great Crusade to bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in the free world were his words. But he, he, he did not, in, in, this, in this thing that was issued out, this letter that was issued out, he did not say, uh, and this is going to be really easy, he gave my heads up that this was going to be incredibly difficult. <clears throat> Eisenhower wrote, Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened, and he will fight savagely. I don't know a better quote to give you when we talk about spiritual warfare. Your task, when we talk about spiritual warfare, will not be an easy one. Your enemy, when we talk about spiritual warfare, is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. And he will fight savagely. Now, there are two major errors we can make when we start to talk about spiritual warfare and dark forces and all these things. And, and, And I think, one, we could get way too obsessed and fascinated with it and we start to find a devil behind every bush and every time we get a flat tire or a bad parking spot we it's the bad it's the flat tire demon the bad parking spot demon or right and we start to blame everything that happens on spiritual warfare the other side that's equally as dangerous would be to just ignore it altogether and pretend like there isn't an enemy Uh, One of the things I need us to see today is we are in battle. It may not feel like it at times, and as a matter of fact, that may very well be one of the enemy's greatest accomplishments is to make you think that you are not in spiritual warfare, so you can just coast. Um, There is a battle waging around us. So if you would... Stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of the pews somewhere around you that says the story on front of it. It'll be page 813 on that Bible. Chapter 6, starting in verse 10, going to verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the devil, the evil one, and take, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, I am a weak and broken vessel. I'm asking, Lord, that you, you would give me words. That words would be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Lord, that I would echo the words of Paul. Lord, that I may be bold. And I may point people to you, Lord, that we as a church could be a mighty army for your sake. We would live lives aware of the battle around us. And we would make much of your name in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In your Bible study groups next week, which I would encourage you to go to if you're not a part of those on a regular basis, um, we discuss further what's preached. And so I'll preach this text, and then next Sunday you can go into Bible study group and further discuss the same exact text. And the, I was looking at the material uh, to guide next week's Bible study group discussion, and the main idea is God has equipped us with everything we need to resist the devil. Now, a couple of things in that. One, God has given us, he's equipped us with everything we need. Something you'll hear me say more than once in this message is we are not an army that fights for victory. We are an army that fights from victory. That Jesus Christ has already won the victory. So the great news when we talk about spiritual battle is there's no, uh, are, are, are we going to lose or are we going to win? Jesus won. And if we're with Jesus, we're on the winning team. But it doesn't mean the battle doesn't still happen. <clears throat> and so, my first point, I am, I'm headed to the Florida Baptist State Convention this afternoon. Uh, I'll be in Orlando for just a couple of days with a whole bunch of Baptist pastors from all over Florida. So I decided I had to do an alliterated three-point sermon. So we've got surveying the battlefield, suiting up for the battle, and supporting the troops. 
and then I have a conclusion one, so just pretend like that one's part of it. As we look at surveying the battlefield, I think one of the things we have to do is we kind of have to understand uh, what sort of battle we're in. And there's a lot of things in this text that talk about this. And so if you look at verse 10, it says, finally. All right, so one word in, I need to stop for a second. And why would Paul use the word finally? I'm convinced that Paul uses the word finally here because he knows he's coming to the conclusion of the book of Ephesians. And this is kind of what the whole thing's really been about. Well, look, as we go in here, this is not brand new ideas. He's communicating things that he's already been communicating about. Because this whole thing, all of our life, this side of heaven, is a spiritual battle. The, 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 the bad news for you is there is no furlough. There is no time to go home until we go home. And when we go home, it's not a furlough, it's going home. The war is over, victory is complete, and we get to be with Jesus. Amen? Amen. But until then, we're kind of where we're at in the middle of battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. <clears throat> All right, kids, get your bulletin out. Go to the first page where you're supposed to trace. And on three, I want you to say it out loud for everybody to hear. One, two, three. That's awesome. That was, uh, give, give them applause. That was really good. All right, can y'all do that for me one more time? And then after they do it, adults, you should have it memorized, and we're going to do it with them. All right, so pay attention, adults. All right, kids, one more time. One, two, three. <clears throat> All right, so be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Everybody, one, two, three. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Whose power? His power, not our power. So understand, when, when we... I think sometimes when we hear spiritual warfare and we hear spiritual battle, we kind of want this to be kind of like a war movie. Like we, when we hear this, we think about those moments of battle and, and we want to think about punching the devil in the face. And we want, like I do, I, I get fired up and I, and I think about these huge moments. But here's what I need, need us to get. The battle is usually not won in those intense moments. The battle has been being won the whole time as we're strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. As a matter of fact, I'll, I would argue that spiritual warfare is one as we live out Luke chapter 9 where Jesus says, if you desire to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Far too often we wait until the spiritual warfare's intensity has risen to a point that it can't be ignored to do anything about it. Oftentimes, that's too late. We've given the devil a foothold, and we will not be able to beat him. And he will have temporary victory over us. The great news is the devil cannot have permanent victory over the children of God. Amen? But he can have, listen to me, temporary victories over you. And in our lives, the best way to do that 
the best offense is a good defense. Most of what the Lord instructs us here through the Apostle Paul is defensive. And we need to understand that this is a daily posture that we need to live out. In Ephesians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but it should be maybe the page or two before you, verses 14 through 16, this idea of strength of the Lord comes up. For the, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. We are not called to be strong. We are called to be strengthened. And there's a big difference. Verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Everybody say stand. stand. Pay attention to how many times you see stand or withstand or some version of that in the text, regardless of what translation you're reading. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I think about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 24, when he's talking about putting on the new self created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness and that idea of in order to put on righteousness in chapter 4 it tells us to put off the wickedness. This is why I take it back to Luke chapter 9 where Jesus says if you want to follow me you must deny yourself. Part of putting on the armor of God is putting off our own selfish ambitions and sinful desires. We have to take those things off and then we put on the armor of God. This isn't actually the only place that talks about this. There's some Old Testament references I'll give you out of Isaiah <clears throat> later, but in Romans chapter 13, talking about the evil of these days and how to handle those things, in chapter 13, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, So then let us cast off the works of darkness. Again, this idea, before we can put on, we have to put off or cast off the darkness and put on the armor of light. Darkness cannot defeat light. I mean, it's, just, it's one of those things that's a scientific fact created by God just to remind us of how great He is. Yeah. See, I, don't, I need you to understand, when, when God uses analogies, it is not that God observes the way that the world works and then makes an analogy. It's that God designed the way the world works and points you to the greater truth in all things. All truth is God's truth, and the very fact that God created light and darkness in such a way that they are incompatible, and light always wins. We could make it pitch black in here, black out the windows, everything, and all you got to do is light one light, and it can get real bright in here. Enough, it may not be super bright, but one light, and you could probably see even dark corners and things going on. Darkness cannot defeat light. Put on the new self that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is well trained, to quote Eisenhower again, well equipped and battle hardened. He's not an idiot. And he's been doing this a long time. And here's, here's, here's the foolish thing he convinces us when it comes to fighting him. 
I, I can tell you this from my own observations of my own life and from countless pastoral counseling and discipleship sessions with people over the last 15 years of ministry. We come to a point where we're struggling with sin of some kind, and rather than reaching out for help, rather than confessing it out loud so that we can repent with help and accountability and have people help carry our burdens, we say, what? I think I can do this on my own. I need you to understand, I think I can do this on my own came straight from the devil's playbook, and you're just playing right into his hands. I think I can do this on my own. He's Listen, you have not been on this earth that long. Even some of you that are in your 80s or 90s, you have not been on this earth that long. The devil's been doing this thing for a really long time. And man, his schemes are multifaceted. His, his strategies are better than your strategies. Like, you need to get that. You cannot defeat the devil. Not only that, the only enemy you have isn't the devil, that old man that we have to put off. That becomes our worst. Sometimes the devil doesn't have to do any work. We just do it on our own. That, you can't do this in your own strength. You can't stand. Klein Snodgrass in his commentary on this passage says, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. There's perhaps no war that has affected veterans more than the Vietnam War. And this is part of why. In, in a lot of wars, it's not incredibly difficult to figure out who your enemies are. It's the guy shooting at you. It's the guy in the other uniform. It's the guy on the other side of the line. One of the things that messed with so many people's heads when they fought in Vietnam is often they never knew who their enemy was. And it, it could be a little kid sent to attack them. It could be a young lady. It could be all kinds of things. I think we coast and we get comfortable because we think about our sins and they're not on like the list of the really bad, socially unacceptable ones, right? And we go, I mean, I'm not, like, doing hard drugs. I'm not murdering people. I didn't rob a bank this week. And so, I mean, I'm doing okay, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm all right. I haven't cheated on my spouse. I haven't, right? And so, like, we, we make this list, and we, by comparison, again, a scheme of the enemy. And what you need to understand is it's psychological and spiritual warfare. It, it's not clearly drawn lines. It's not... It's not so easy as this is the evil thing and this is the good thing and make sure you make the right choice. It's often going to be disguised in good things. Schemes of the devil will come in great variety. He'll make you rationalize your sin. I hear all the time, I mean, that's just the way that I am. Well, I mean, yes, we can all agree you are a jerk. And part of that is just the way that you are. But it's not the way you need to stay. Right? What does Jesus say? Deny 
yourself. Take up the cross and follow him. So understand, well, that's just the way I was raised. Or that's just the way that I am. Those are excuses of the enemy. And they don't stand up. And they don't win battles. Sometimes you just hide the hook with the bait. We see the temporary pleasure. And we forget that there's a hook hidden behind it. You know, fish have such a short, short memory span. Right? You can catch it. You can throw it back in the water. A couple minutes later, you can catch the same fish. Fall for the same trick. Right? We're, we're really not that different. Right? I mean, we just don't see the hook. We just see the bait. And, and the thing is, there's part of us that knows there's a hook. Right? We know that. It's not that we're ignorant. We know there's a hook there. Well, just, that's a good-looking bait. And I would like to have some. And so we think, maybe I can get it without it hooking me. Or, he'll show you what others do. And they do the same thing as you. And I mean, they teach Sunday school, or they preach, or they lead, and such and such. I mean, if they do it, legitimizes my sin, I can do the same thing. Or, I, this is where one kind of, again, a, 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 on different extremes, either the enemy will emphasize God's mercy and grace, and that God will forgive you. And you'll think, well, I mean, I can do this, and I know it's wrong, and I know it's sinful, uh, and I know there's a hook attached to it, but that's why I love Jesus, man. He's so gracious. He'll just pull the hook out and forgive me. Or on the flip side of that, the enemy will emphasize your sinfulness, and he'll make you look more at your sin than you do at your Savior, and you'll start beating yourself up. And you'll think, I've messed up so bad, I might as well keep going. Or I'm such a screw-up, I mean, I don't even really deserve to be with the Lord. And so I'm just going to numb my pain. I can't numb it with the Lord, and so I'm going to numb it with something else. I know it's wrong, but that's just who I am. Or you'll justify it because you're good in other areas. I mean, yeah, I do some wrong stuff here, but, like, I do a really good job on these things. So it kind of balances out. Tim Keller points out a funny extreme. It's like a mafia hitman that's really good to his mama. And so he thinks he's a good guy, right? Because he's sweet to his mama, but he kills people. Right? We laugh at that, but that is not, not what we do sometimes. We, 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 we have these other pet sins, these little things where we keep, all, we keep just losing the battle over and over and over and over and over again. And we justify it because we like, I mean, that's compared to all the other good things in my life. If that's the only bad thing, it's going to be all right. Or finally, we'll attain victory in one area only to find that the devil has hit us from a different angle. Listen, his attacks are predictable, but also not. They're predictable, and they're always going to fall in probably one of those categories that I just gave you, but they're not predictable in the sense that usually it's going to be from the angle that you're not looking. In your own strength, you can't win. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle. This is a uh, mainly an athletic term used of like Roman Greco grappling or wrestling. You may, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't have time to go into each of those phrases, but here's what you need to see, is the enemy is largely unseen. And so this is why you can't coast, believer. This is why you can't just go about your day and try to just live a normal routine life. If you are a child of God, you have been enlisted into an army and you are in battle and there is a target on your back and there are flaming arrows and all sorts of attacks coming your way and they are most likely unknown to you. It's death by a thousand cuts. Until it's too late. You ever seen that in your life or someone else's? You see this major, huge fallout in their life? And you think about, where did that come from? And how did you get beaten by the enemy so badly? How did you get so deceived? Well, I'm telling you, it was probably... A little crumb by a little crumb by a little crumb by a little crumb. One bad decision after one bad decision after one bad decision. And ultimately, you find yourself further down the road. We have to prepare for the enemy. We have to know that he's there. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded. Be clear-headed. Be watchful. Pay attention. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We are actively in battle, but you cannot win it on your own. Verse 13, therefore, so because we recognize we're in battle, because we recognize we can't win this battle on our own, because we recognize that he's always attacking, it's always coming at us, and we are powerless against it on our own, therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Everybody say stand. I love that that word stand is used so much. That's your job. Here's what's great about this. Your job isn't to shoot arrows back at the devil. Your job isn't to fight back. Your job is to be able to stand. And he's going to do everything he can to knock you down. If you're already a follower of Christ, he's just going to try to keep you from being a part of the army, from growing, from abiding in the Lord. But if you're not, he's going to do what he can to keep you from submitting to the Lord. Here's the other thing I need you to get that ties into our theme this year, Better Together. These instructions are corporate, plural. This is not individual instructions for you Individually to put on the armor of God. These are actually instructions for the body of Christ, for us together to suit up. So point two, suiting up for the battle, verses 14 through 17. Again, this idea of stand. Everybody say stand. Stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I don't have time to go. You could do a whole sermon on each of these, and people have, and you can Google those. And Well, let me know. I'll tell, I can point you to some good ones. The belt, I just want to give you some little information about each one. The belt is the first thing to go on. 
not the last. It's listed first because it's not belt like we think of, like this is what's supposed to keep my pants from falling down and I, and I belt it up, right? This is actually a belt that would, so they would first put on their tunic, which was kind of like a, like a dress, a robe, right? And they would tie this sash, this, this belt, and it would keep things tight and from impeding them. It would keep things from getting in their way, from getting tangled up in their tunic, getting in their own way. But it was also the thing that held the sword, which we'll get to the sword here in a little bit. So understand, the first thing is the belt of truth. Now, Isaiah promised in, in chapter, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, a Savior for whom righteousness would be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Then the breastplate would go on. Isaiah promised a Savior who would put on righteousness as a breastplate, Isaiah 59, 17. We find our security, we find our establishment in not our armor. Whose armor? This is not a hard question. Let's try that again. Whose armor? God's armor. As we look through the Old Testament and we look at prophecies, we'll find this is not just some mere observation that Paul makes of the Roman soldiers. This is Old Testament prophecy ideas about who Jesus is as our victor. And we stand with Jesus, joint heirs with Jesus, brothers with Jesus, brothers in arms with Jesus. And all our job is to do is to stand and let him fight. In Exodus, when Moses got to the waters and they thought, man, the Egyptians are behind us and they're about to kill us. What does the Lord tell him as he's freaking out and everybody else is freaking out? And he says, stop fighting. Let me fight for you. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, when it says, be still and know that I am God. This is a psalm that was written in the midst of battle. And that be still means cease striving. Stop trying to do it on your own. I will say it a hundred more times. You can't win this battle on your own. Cease striving. Stop fighting. Stand. Jesus says in John chapter 15, for I am the vine. You are the branches apart from me. You can do nothing. But whoever abides in me, my love, my word will bear much fruit. To me, this is encouraging because when I think about fighting the devil and demons, I'll be honest, I think it makes probably for a fun movie and maybe even a rally cry of a sermon. But it makes for a scary life. And when I recognize I don't have to fight demons, I just have to put on the armor of God and stand while Jesus fights for me. See, this is this whole thing. I have to understand nothing about what the Bible says is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, by your own strength mentality. This whole thing is pointing you to God as our Redeemer, God as our Savior. Everything in it is intricately and ingeniously woven by God through the Holy Spirit, through all these different authors to point us to the one that can rescue your marriage, that can free you from your addictions, that can give you hope in your hopelessness, that can give you all the things that you think this world can give you, and that can't, the world can't give you those things. But Jesus can. And so we stand in truth and in righteousness. Everything in here is centered on truth and in righteousness. This is why I believe 
A belief in absolute truth matters so much. Uh, and, and this is why it's the, one of the schemes of the devil to, to make us think that truth is relative to each other. Like, I have my truth and you have your truth. No, there's truth. And it's Jesus. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so this is what we gird up our loins. We center everything else on. As a matter of fact, the belt would be part of what would help attach the breastplate and the sword and all of it together. 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. This was talking about someone who, after battle was, was won, this term, the term evangelist comes from this idea. Uh, it's actually not a, uh, a religious word originally. It was a military word. And gospel was a military word. And so you would send your, your soldiers off to battle, and if they won a victory, they would take the, the fastest guy they had, or just the guy that had enough energy left to run, and they would send him over the mountains back home as an evangelist to bring the gospel, the good news that victory had been won. And Isaiah is telling us that one day, one day a servant of God will come and his feet will be so beautiful as he comes and brings us the good news. And his, the feet of Jesus were most beautiful when they were pierced on the cross for our sins. When God Almighty came down and put skin on and walked on this earth in perfection, because he wanted to demonstrate his love to us. That was beautiful. And when we put on shoes, the, the Roman soldiers would put on these heavily soled shoes with like nails almost as cleats at the bottom so it would give them better traction. Why? So that they could stand. That those cleats, if... if planted in the ground good when an attack came would keep you from falling over. So here's what you need to understand. That the commands that God gives us are not just duties and tasks to mark off of a to-do list. They're the very reason that God created you. And we will stand strongest when we stand in obedience to who God has called us to be. When we make our lives, again, Luke chapter 9, denying ourselves, taking up our crosses daily, and following Jesus, we'll be able to stand much stronger. But when you're standing for your own selfish ambitions, for your ability to pay bills, for your ability to have fun, for your ability to pursue all the things you want to pursue, then you won't have the cleats on, and you're going to slip a lot easier. When we make our lives about what God has called us to make it about, we can stand much stronger. Verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, it says, God is a shield to those who take refuge in them. This shield of faith, they, they were designed by Roman soldiers, these huge shields. Most of these soldiers actually weren't very tall. The average height around that time was about five foot tall. And so they would have these kind of four-foot shields that they could kind of kneel and almost their entire body would go behind the shield. And there was a leather on the outside that they would soak in water because the enemies oftentimes would take these spears 
put tar on them, light them on fire, and send them as arrows. And if you didn't soak your shield in water, then it would light your shield on fire. But because they were able to hide behind the shield, the shield took the arrows and it put out the fire. So the command here to have a shield of faith is to our faith in Jesus Christ. We get to hide behind it. You hear me? Like this is not an offensive weapon. This is big enough for you to hide behind it if your posture is correct. But if you're trying to stand strong in your own strength, then the shield won't cover your whole body. But when you kneel and you put the shield out and it's been washed by the water, it can extinguish the flames that the enemy means for you and they go to Jesus instead of you. Verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Isaiah promised a Savior who would wear the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. When we trust in the victory of Christ, we fight from victory, not for victory. The hard part about this spiritual battle is it's happening around you and to you, whether you admit that or not. And one of the great things the devil will do is convince you to make God just a side compartment of your life. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced he'd much rather you do that than go rob banks and do hard drugs and all the whatever list you want to come up with. Because you know why? Because if you go do all those other really stupid things, at some point you're going to hit rock bottom and you're going to realize you need help. But what he likes to do, it's almost like, I've heard people say, it's like an inoculation, like a flu shot, right? Like you get just enough of it to make you immune to it. And I think one of the devil's greatest schemes is to make you come to church on enough of a basis, or whatever you categorize that as, and try to be a decent person that you feel like things are just good between you and God. At the end of the day, your good will just outweigh the bad. That he knows your heart, he knows you're trying to be a good person, and so he's just going to overlook all the other bad things that you've done. Listen to me, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that you're actually so wicked and so wretched that you are, according to Romans chapter 8, a hostile enemy of God. But the good news, the good news is that he's willing to adopt you and forgive you and bring you into the family. But that requires more than just saying, sure, I'll take that. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He demonstrated his love for us and that while we were hostile enemies, sinners against him, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. So we hide behind faith by recognizing that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We put on the helmet of salvation by understanding and being adopted by Jesus, forgiven by him, by the washing of his blood. And then we get to put on the helmet. And then the sword. Isaiah promised a servant that would say, The Lord made my mouth like a sharpened sword. 
Isaiah 49.2. Jesus is this servant. The word of God is the only offensive weapon listed out of this list of six. Jesus said in John 15, He who abides in me, and my word will bear much fruit. So where do we stand? We stand right here. So here's what I need you to hear in this. The spiritual battle is not some grandiose, huge, demon-slaying battle where you're just running and fighting, slinging the word of God. The battle is every day. Denying yourself, waking up a little bit earlier, getting in the Word of God, abiding in the Word of God, trying to live that out each day, hiding behind that shield of faith. And when you hide behind that shield of faith, I'm sure you, you feel it when the arrows hit. And it may jar you a little bit, but it doesn't wound you. It's when we leave ourselves exposed that we get wounded. It's when we leave ourselves exposed that we get those temporary defeats. But we can live in victory by recognizing that God desires to be far more than just some small addition to our lives. But he says, if you'll pursue first and foremost the kingdom of God and his righteousness, man, he'll take care of all these other things. So, I'm running out of time. Verses 18 through 20, support the troops. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is actually not a new sentence. This is part of the sentence about the sword. And so the idea of the word and prayer actually go together. There's actually this beautiful communication here in the Greek where it doesn't use the word that's often used for word, logos in the Greek. It uses a different word, rhema, which is a spirit-breathed message. Uh, and so when it says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, it's the Spirit-breathed message applied in our lives, through our lives and our prayer. And this is how we stand. And then he says, so I say support the troops, because look at this, I love this prayer, verse 19, and also for me that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Man, Paul already does that. But here's his continued prayer that you would pray that. I ask you, church, pray that for me and pray it for each other. Uh, far too often we make prayer something uh, far weaker than it is. Has anybody seen the commercial uh, with Gordon Ramsay in like, he's like in Sam's doing like a samples thing, right? Gordon Ramsay's like this world famous chef. And there's this great AT&T commercial where they come up and, and they go, isn't this just kind of like a okay use of your talents? I mean, you're like a four-star Michelin chef and you're doing samples at the, at the grocery store. And he goes, yeah, it's just like okay with an iPhone and AT&T. But here, here's my point. It's like, see, you would, you would be blown away if you saw a world-famous four-star Michelin chef like giving out cheese samples at Sam's Club, right? You would think, this is probably not the best use of Gordon Ramsay. Listen to me. With prayer, hear what I'm saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. So often we make prayer this, what people jokingly call organ recital. So-and-so's liver, so-and-so's kidney, Aunt Linda's big toe. And we just pray about these things. And, and listen, I'm not saying don't pray about those things. In the book of James, it tells us that 
if we have sickness that we're to pray about those things go to the elders have them pray for us but listen prayer is far more than that far more than that as a matter of fact it's blown me away when jesus said the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few i'm such a doer i feel like like when i read that i think so he's like so then go labor but that's not what he says he says the harvest is plentiful when the labors are few so pray so pray. Look, don't make prayer Gordon Ramsay giving out cheese samples at Sam's. The, the commander of the Lord's armies, the creator of the universe said, here's a straight line to me. Let's go do some business for the Father. And we go, hey, my head hurts. Right? Listen, we may, not, we may not be the biggest church in the world, but what if we took this seriously? What if we started praying seriously for the lost, for God to send laborers, for God to do mighty works in this neighborhood? What if more of our prayer requests were about kingdom business than about our convenience? What if more of our prayer requests were about God conquering and showing his mighty hand at work pushing back the darkness in this world and far less about our appointments. Let's pray for sickness. Let's pray for those things. But far too often, that's like the only thing we're praying for. Man, let's recognize there's a battle going on around us in our lives. As a matter of fact, if you'll allow me, but I guess not walking out. I guess that's what it would look like if you didn't allow me. I have my one more point, my conclusion. Good soldiers, this one doesn't alliterate, make disciples. In conversation the other day, one of our church members who was a Marine, Marine veteran, said, Marines have mission accomplishment and troop welfare. It's two primary objectives but mission accomplishment always goes before troop welfare. If you have to make a choice, in other words, when Marines go in, they understand there's a mission to accomplish and there's a troop to keep safe. And we should try to do both. But if ever we have to make the choice between mission accomplishment and troop welfare, we choose mission accomplishment. Understanding that troops may get hurt, troops may get left behind, troops may die, troops will suffer. But the mission matters more. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is my concluding thought to you. This is what he says to Timothy. Now understand, when he writes 1 Timothy, Timothy's a new pastor at Ephesus. And so it's encouraging. It's about pushing back false teachers and all these things. When he writes 2 Timothy, Timothy's struggling. And it's been difficult. And he's having a hard time in ministry. And Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of my many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim 
is to please the one who enlisted him. So here's my charge to you, church. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Stand firm in him. Hide behind the shield of faith. Have the breastplate of righteousness. Make everything girded by the belt of truth. Put on the shoes that are ready to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Because you know what good disciples, good soldiers do? They put the mission over everything else. And you were made to make disciples. You were made to make much of the name of Jesus Christ. You were made to bring glory to God in your life, in your relationships. Just like we talked about last week in the relationships of the last couple of weeks of marriage, of, of, of being a parent, of being a child, of being an employee, of being an employer. All of those things are avenues through which God has given us to make much of his name. That's the mission. The mission is for your life to be about making much of him and making disciples. And I'm thoroughly convinced that if that became our primary objective, if we put mission accomplishment over troop welfare, far more of our prayers would be about accomplishing the mission. Far more of our actions would be about accomplishing the mission. And we'd even be willing to suffer some. Why? Because we wouldn't get entangled in all the civilian pursuits. All the things that the world is going to get entangled in, we shouldn't get entangled in. Man, let them get tangled up and let's keep pointing them to Jesus. Let's keep shining light and pushing back the darkness and bringing hope to the hopeless. There's no reason that we can't do it because it's not our strength, but His. Let's pray. Lord, May we be strengthened by the grace that you give us. Lord, I, I say that for those who are your children, that they would be strengthened by your grace, that today they would be reminded that the best way to stand firm is to be on mission. But Lord, if there are those here that ha have not trusted their life to Jesus Christ, maybe they've dabbled in, in religion or, or made you a part of their life, but it's time to surrender fully over to you, to recognize that they are hostile enemies of you, and to be brought, adopted into the family, washed by your blood. Lord, I pray that you would, you would make that clear on their hearts, and they would, they would step boldly in obedience. But Lord, for those of us that are your children, that are in your army, let us not forget that we are in battle. Let us speak boldly and live boldly. Let us not get entangled in civilian pursuits. But Lord, make our aim to please you who has enlisted us. Lord, I pray that you would do miracles through this church. Lord, I've already seen you do it so much. I, I'm just asking, Lord, for you to multiply it. Lord, I'm asking you, please use me, use this church in mighty ways. Help us push back the darkness. Help us recognize the darkness in our own lives and put it off so we can put on the armor of God. Let us be a church that prays. Let us be a church that prays understanding the power of prayer.